Hey everybody and welcome back to We're Just Talking. This is your host, Julian, and I'm with your other host, Carly. Say hi, Carly. Hello. Hey guys, how you doing? Nice to hear from you again, as always. My asshole is puckering. Uh, um, <clears throat> okay. And um, It's election night, okay? Yeah, Carly is definitely We're recording. over here sweating fucking balls we're recording on election night which is a questionable choice and i i went back and forth um when alan listens to this just know that i went back and forth with the idea of you know taking my own advice and giving us a mental health week here and not even recording today but this is a topic that i think we can all get behind so um i wanted to record about it anyway and i feel like this little break from doom scrolling and staring at the uh at the election electoral vote map is going to ease my nerves at least i hope but uh yeah for right now my asshole is puckering julie doesn't really seem concerned which is uh perplexing no i am concerned okay i'm just trying to hold it together okay because what do you want me to do uh i don't want you to do anything but um you know it, it just stresses me out that my reaction is just so adverse because you're just like la-di-da in julian land Carl, maybe i'm trying not to fully think about it right now maybe yeah I'm, I'm i'm trying not to sweat bullets yeah well that's privilege you like, know what that is that's privilege okay okay that's <laughs> okay privilege. but that's a conversation for another day you're a dick you know that yeah no you're a dick um that's rude yeah so uh we're sitting here i think it, what time is it 10 to 9 eastern time yeah uh 10 to 9 eastern time so this is uh far too early uh, to have any kind of semblance of an idea of how this election is going to turn out. But, you know, somehow these news networks make me on the edge of my seat for hours on end, knowing full well that this isn't going to come to a, to an end until maybe a few days from now, a few weeks from now, a few months from now. We really don't know. So uh, no sense in stressing about it, even though uh, no matter how much I say that to myself, I can't help but stress about it. Yeah, you're, you look to be in a good position right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. most important election of our lifetime. But anyway, agreed. Uh, that aside, uh, and I feel like we have to mention this every time we talk on this podcast because it's an election year. And it's just it just really is important. It, it really is like the most important thing I've ever voted in. Probably the most important thing Julian's ever voted in. And yeah, that's kind of where we're at. So I've almost never felt this way towards almost anything. Before. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, don't let you know, don't let the election ruin your your family and friend relationships. It, oh, it is. It is. Ru- it is challenging and ruining yeah. my relationship relationships you know and it's sort of beyond my control now my mom and i had a discussion about it it's like sort of like outside of my own you know what i can control about my mood and behaviors so yeah that's where we're at it's pretty cool i mean i mean of all things that this election has done i mean it's made everybody just miserable so that's a pretty cool byproduct of this yeah yeah so that's where we're at but uh today our topic is veterans veterans in the military um this topic i know we mentioned it i think it was during our pilot episode and i think we also mentioned it it. a couple times yeah I, we, so we definitely talked seasons. about it in our political episode um we definitely talked about it when we were talking about careers and stuff like that because julian you know a big part of julian's come up was uh was the military and his military experience and i'm hoping that he'll share a little bit more about kind of his process today and kind of what he you know expects to get more from you know veteran support in this country and veteran assistance things of that nature i know it's a big plot political platform but i think from a an actual veteran's perspective uh you know it's helpful to know like what exactly you know they're going through you know mentally emotionally and in the transition between being a citizen and being in the military right yeah so if, if you want to do this to where like you ask questions maybe yeah I no i think i you some answers yeah i think that would be helpful so why don't we just get started Started with like what so what was your like I know the answer to this but I obviously want like our audience to hear it what was your main objective 
in joining the army? Like, in other words, what first gave you the idea and what was your motivation? So um, ever since I was a little boy, <laughs> that sounds cliche, ever since I was a kid, I don't know, I was just fascinated by the military and uh, fascinated by, yeah, just by, just by the military. And growing up, I always kind of wanted to be in it. You know, I'd always talk about, you know, I'm going to join the army or I'm going to join the Marines or I'm going to be a Navy SEAL or I'm going to be a Power Ranger or I'm going to be Captain America, you know, like, so I always, um, I always, that that was kind of just how I grew up, like being a kid, you know, an astronaut or this, that, the other, just being a regular kid. But as I got older, it was still something that I always had in the back of my mind. And um, I was always very interested and curious about it. And I really wanted to, to um, you know, explore it as an option. So while I was in high school, let's just say that in, in high school, like I never really knew what I wanted to do after high school. I didn't know, you know, I didn't want to follow the status quo, you know, which unfortunately, not unfortunately, but excuse me, where I, um, you know, where I grew up, very proud to be from Neptune, New Jersey. But, um, you know, for, for the most part, I guess the stereotype was like, oh, you know, you go to Neptune after Neptune, like you go to Brookdale and you work a part time drive or something like that not not there's that there's anything wrong with that at all you know and that was a huge option for me basically going into my senior year of high school um a huge option to where uh I, you know that would probably be it and you know i would figure it out from there and hopefully you know um move on and get a good high paying job doing something that interests me that was kind of like what the status quo was right so back on topic now joining the military again um it was always in the back of my mind i explored options i, I spoke to a few recruiters about it i kind of just went to the army me. Um, I don't know. I don't know really why I decided to go to the Army over the Marine Corps. That or was going to be my next question, but <laughs> oh, well, you know, <laughs> no, the, answer it. No, answer no, no, it. no. I'll, I'll, I'll get on. We'll get. I'll be the next question. Then. Okay. But basically, um, like I said, it was something that I always was interested in doing. Something that I was always interested in doing, but never really thought that I would do it until high school came along. And, you know, the the reality of actually that becoming a reality got closer and closer and closer. And then um, went through a couple things. My senior year of high school, I would say the summer of my senior year going into high school, you know. Go I, with before going to senior year? Yeah, before oh, okay. going to senior year. I remember I was, I was playing football, but uh, my father had passed away and that kind of hit me hard and it was uh, a little rough for a 17 year old um you know teenager to uh, to deal with something like that especially when it's uh unexpected so you know i don't know what it was but i i knew that me something triggered in me when that happened and i knew that um i wasn't gonna just follow the status quo i wasn't just going to uh do something easy or not necessarily easy but i wasn't just gonna do something that again was maybe expected of routine, me routine yeah. routine expected of me and oh this is just the way this is what you do no mm-hmm. so i was like you know what i'm gonna join in the army and I uh <clears throat> so uh basically I joined the army when I was 17 about a month before I turned 18 I was in you know mid senior year of high school still in high school um so I had to wait obviously to ship until uh to basic training until after I graduated high school which is no problem um I ended up shipping to basic training two weeks after I graduated high school at 18 years old but uh so I enlisted then and I, I originally enlisted just in the reserves because I was 17 years old I didn't really know what I was doing you know and I and I picked a job in in the reserves it was kind of like a like a logistical specialist um like a supply analyst and i so i went to basic training and then i went to job training and then when i got back for about five months of being away i got back and i noticed that oh shit like what am i gonna do next like i'm kind of working a part-time job because at the time i was only in the army reserve time i um was working like uh like at um ruby tuesdays and then not really doing much else i hadn't been enrolled in school yet uh so again something triggered in me um um, 
to where I was like, nah, I gotta, I need to go active duty. Contacted uh, my recruiter, let him know what was up, said I wanted to go active duty. And basically, like about a month later, uh, I was able to, they were able to release me from the Army Reserve and then activate me into the active army. And then they basically shit me right the hell off. Okay, so uh, this was, wait, just so that I understand the timeline. Mm Mm-hmm. You made the decision to go active army before you were shipped to boot camp? No, after. After? Yeah. So before job training? No, after that. After job training? Yeah. Okay. So I think... What was what was going to be? Oh yeah. Um. So recruitment. So someone decides they're going to be in the military. What's your first step? Like, what did you do first? Did you talk to someone, or had you already made up your mind, or were you kind of looking for another opinion? Were they like so? Was the recruitment section of the military helpful in clarifying things for you and kind of answering any questions that you had, or were they just kind of like, nah, sign this paper, like be a patriot type of thing? <laughs> um, that's a good question. A lot of gray area there in that within within this answer. Um, it, it, it's. It's weird because they have, you have to think about this. The army is a business, right? So the military is a business. doesn't matter what branch, it's a business. So like they have their quota and they have recruitment goals that they have to meet and metrics metrics they have to follow. So, you know, it, I didn't feel necessarily rushed, but like I feel like army recruitment, they take away the, the uncertainty about it. They almost want to almost rush you into being, oh, you're here to join the army and the Marine Corps. Okay, cool. So um, this is what we're going to do. This is that. This is what we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Um, you can have this job, that job, and take this test, that test, this physical, this physical, that physical, and then you know, you'll be good. You'll be good to go. So yeah. it's kind of like they take out the line up, un- sign up type thing. Line up, sign up. Yeah, they, they take out the uncertainty in it, and they want to you know drive you right through because again, they have they have numbers that, they, that these recruiters need to hit. So therefore, again, to fulfill the military needs. Yeah. So okay. same same thing as if you if you if you meet a recruiter from um, Facebook or Amazon or any like big tech or whatever company, you know, and you're going through the recruitment process, it's kind of the same. Um, and along the lines of they want to string you through. And they and they want to get you you know onboarded because they want to hit that quota. Sure. So that's more of it than anything else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're recruited. You complete boot camp. I think I feel like a popular civilian question is like, how hard is boot camp? Is it is it something that truly weeds people out, or do you only get to that point when you're going like special forces? Um. No. So boot camp. What what the biggest mind fuck of it all? In my opinion, is it hard? If you thinking about it now, like not really. Right. Thinking about it now, you know, this is I went to boot camp at 18 years old. I'm 31 now. Thinking about it now, was it hard? In in reality, no. Mentally and physically, we're talking. So if there's a, if there's a distinction between those two, just clarify. so yeah, and, and I and I will I think in my yeah. next couple couple statements. Mentally and physically, is it hard? Like I would say this: physically, you just need to you need to be in shape. Like don't go to basic training like not in shape. People do go to basic training not in shape, uh, and they tend to struggle a little bit more because of the fact that like I mean you need basic like you need to be able to run. You need to be able to do push-ups, you need to be able to do sit-ups, and you need to be able to just be active, right? If you can do that, deal with the deal with the, and deal with the heat, deal with the cold, um, like you're you're fine, like you're sure. you're good. Like if you can just do that, like if you're a PT stud, they call them, like you're good because you're not gonna physically, you're gonna be able to accomplish any physical tests that you're given okay. without really much of an issue, and that's the easy that's the easy part, right? Right. The, the hardest part, so I would say the physical part, as long as you show up, you know, in somewhat relatively decent shape, you know, and I came right from high school playing sports. So I was like, you know, right. I, 
I was could I've been in better shape going to boot camp? Yes, but I was also like just. Came. I think we were. I mean, and for the most part, we're all studs when we come out of high school. If you did any kind of high school sport, I mean. Yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> stud, I, quote unquote, like so, best shape of your life type of stuff. So I would say, like for the most part, the physical stuff really wasn't that much. It was more the mental. Um, and this is the biggest issue with that is the fact that when you go to basic training, you're transitioning from being a civilian. Most of the time, you're a freaking kid. You're a teenager. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're 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 coming from living whatever life you live, whatever was a cushy life, whatever this that, you know, mommy daddy. <laughs> you're coming from from high school going into the United States military. And the second like you're all excited, you're all excited, you know, you got your go army shirt on and yeah. you know, you're like, "Yeah, you know, I'm going to boot camp." I'm going to be GI Joe. Walking yeah. around, you know, the airport, look looking forward to it, so proud. And then the yeah. second you get onto the fort that you're going for boot camp and that first drill drill sergeant gets on the bus and they immediately strip you of all your fucking freedoms and who you are within one like instance then it, it hits you and you're like what did i do yeah you know um again what is that it's just mental and, and, and the biggest thing is it's being it's being a young kid trend and going from a, a 360 transition not like there's no settling into it it's a snap of your fingers yeah like Boom, like that. And I think that it hit, it happens before you even realize it. And then when you start to realize it, you start to think about it. You're like, wait, 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 wait. What did I do? Yeah. You know, because... <laughs> you know did you find that there were a lot of people that were like okay fuck this like in that moment um or not, no? not really thinking back on it now I, if i can remember the faces that everyone else had at the time i had the same thing it was more of look of um shock right you know kind of like you're you're scared because you, i don't want to say you're scared but you're you're uncomfortable because you got people screaming and yelling in your face for uh, seemingly no reason other than the fact that they're trying to shake the civilian out of you yes yeah they have to break you in order to rebuild you as as a soldier or you know okay so, so it's part of the process and the process starts before you even realize it started you know right so um, i think that that right there yeah it, it's really it was really the mental as aspect of it you know um that was the most difficult part just trying to adjust and, and then when you realize where you are and what you're doing and what's happening to you you're like damn i have like nine more weeks of this and right nine weeks really isn't a long it's time it's not no but thinking about it now maybe at 18 years old yeah. thinking, oh shit like what i'm at? i got nine weeks of this to go yeah it, may, it seems like a lifetime. Like two and a half months, yeah. Yeah, so I would say, again, basic training, uh, boot camp, yeah, it, it is, I would say, 95% like, mental. The other 5% is just, you know, if you go to boot camp somewhat in shape, you're going you're gonna to be a lot better off. Okay. You know? Okay, so it's not, um, I mean, you see you see some, of course, like most veterans, all veterans, anybody who, who gives their life to the military, of course, you have some base level respect for them, um, this and that. But I know you've had your fair share of uh, soldiers underneath you once you were promoted who were just, you know, lazy and just, you know, really not the ideal soldier. So how is that dealt with? In other words, certainly we can't expect for every person that goes through the military to just be a 10 out of 10 human being. Right. So how does the military deal internally with maybe people who shouldn't have a weapon or there's mental illness or there's somebody that, you know, is just really not good at doing their job for whatever reason, whether it be a deliberate ignorance or something that they can't control or something that they haven't medicated or some other reason? How is that dealt with? Yeah. So one, 
one thing, um, I guess a stereotype of the military that a lot of civilians, you know, maybe think of, you know, they, they see the military and they think, oh, these are the best human beings in the world. These men and women are great, this, that, the other. And yes, they are. You know, I agree. Yeah. But again, going circling back, the military is a business. And in business, sure. you're going to have shitheads. Right. Right. So in the military, you have shitheads, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen. They are they do exist in the military serving actively. Logi- it logically follows that they would. Yeah. yeah. So your question, like, what, what do you, like, what does the military do about that? Yeah, what is the remedy? Like, while, okay, so active yeah. duty military. Mm-hmm. What is the remedy within the military and in, in the army? Because that's the only thing you can speak to is the army, right? Yeah, and, and for the most part, all the branches, like when it comes to stuff like that, are are relatively the same. Okay. With a few differences here and there, maybe, yeah. but it, it's all the same. It's it's you're all you know, it's all the same, right? So, um, I, but yeah, I'll speak towards I guess the army. So, and this is you know, I'm talking about the time I served, which was from 2007 to 2013. All right, um, but I know back in the day, more of that was dealt with. They called them wall to wall counseling which basically is you know you corner those people those guys and you basically throw them into a wall and fight them for example right, right? and so they 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 corrected themselves okay that type style unfortunately kind of had to fade away um because the army introduced this thing called hr right when was that so that's it hasn't always been a thing no it, it has been a thing but like a lot of stuff like that was just normal military culture and sure. it was overlooked until you know which we, there still is a ton of stuff that's overlooked there's still a ton of stuff that's overlooked yeah Yes, but now there's more protocol and processes for like providing additional training. Um, what was the word that we used? Um, corrective training. Uh, to sold to mil you know to soldiers or basically yeah to, to military personnel. So um, I guess right now the um the political um good answer would be um <clears throat> every month you have to have a counseling. They call them counselings. Basically, a, it's a one on one with that so, with that soldier. Um, you're supposed to go over certain topics. And who are you speaking to? <clears throat> if I have a one a counseling with a soldier, it's normally um that soldier and then the first line supervisor so if i'm the sergeant and i have a soldier under me and um it's that time of the month where i need to deliver uh a counseling then we sit down together and basically have a one-on-one conversation we talk about opportunities strengths uh what we did well what we get better at right sure. and that happens every month okay all right so therefore you have now you have documentation right okay um that's one thing um and it could be good it could be bad it doesn't matter you know but i'll get to where soldiers start to act like fuck up right when they make the mistakes everything goes off of uh, UCMJ, a Uniform Code Code of Military Justice, right? Um, there's different articles on there that f- basically punishments that fit the crime, right? Sure. Depending on what you did, you get that's military crime. Yeah, you yeah. Get, you get okay. you get this, that, the other. Um, there's always a punishment to it. So depending on what it is, like you know, depending on the severity of it, like you could be you could be demoted, uh, so stripped of your rank. You could be put on extra duty, uh, which basically means that um, they take more of your free time away from you. Um, they could take your money, which also so that's almost like pretty Prison. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say. Yeah. Yeah. So um. So like. So they. So so yeah. So they can demote you, which uh coincides with um they can take your money, they can dock your pay. Mm-hmm. So they can dock your pay. They can demote you. They can do both. They can take your free time away from you, um, which means that if you know the unit's getting dismissed for the weekend at. 4:30 p.m. on a Friday, um, and you're not due back in until Monday morning. Uh, maybe that the second that formation gets dismissed, that soldier now has to work and then come in on Saturday all day, Sunday all day, and just never have any time off. Okay. The so, only thing the military has to do is you have to you have to get four hours of sleep a day slash night. Okay. And they don't have to be consecutive hours. Okay. So so I maybe I'm maybe I'm 
just not understanding the value in that. But it seems like if a soldier is, for lack of a better term, jerking off, you know, at work, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the solution is to just make them work more. No, no, no. So like, okay. So like if you say jerking off, I'm thinking they're just not performing well. That's when you provide like additional um, counselings and guidance. screwing up? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But again, that's that's just basic like business, right? Okay. So there's the difference between not doing your job correctly and kind of screwing around and then... And, and then deliberate. Yes. Like, if you know, you, like if you yeah. go out and get a DUI. Okay. Right. Or okay. if you go out and you beat your wife or if you go out or, oh, wow. or, or your husband or if you okay. go out and, you know, steal something or break shit or destroy something or really hurt. So- like, I'm talking about like, that's when you really fuck up and do like bad shit. And that's when the martial, martial law, not martial law, but like that, that, internal military That's when justice. you're going to be stripped of your rank. You're going to be doc okay. pay. You're going to, all, all your free time is now gone. And, what you said was so they're not performing well so you're going to make them work more not necessarily so what it is is like you're not going to get a, a punishment like that if you're just not performing the way you need to be uh, that uh, that comes again that, that kind of more lines with um uh just you know performance coachings and then like if you aren't like making the standard if you're not like if you're failing PT test if you if you can't pass basic um you know mental and physical um things you need to pass in order to be a soldier then like they'll start a process of trying to get you out wow get okay. you out of the military now there's gray area in that too because say for example someone's like oh but my back and then go to checks out and doctor's like yeah that person has a back problem they'll give him a um a profile and then it's almost like you almost can't touch him at that point okay but you can still start certain admin things but it's almost like now they're in a place where that you can't really touch them but okay. you can't all you all but you also can't like really kick them out it, it, it's very like weird um with that you know what i mean yeah so it's almost like how there's laws in place to prevent to prevent you know targeting americans with disabilities almost like that yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. like I'm saying, so, but that's just like it's just a different set of rules in the military. Just, obviously. just a different set of rules. Yeah, and so in the crimes, the punishments I was talking about, like the ones again, I'll say again, where they you know take your money, your rank, your your, your all your time. That's because that the crime, not the crime, but like the uh, the violation was was that bad, and this is what you do. This is this is what equals the this is the punishment that equals that violation. You know? Okay, and yeah, it could be for months. It could be for three months. Like yeah. you know, and some sometimes some of these guys get on these things and they never come off because they keep on fucking up you know right if you go a wall same shit right um so again the, the idea of that is like it, it, it's a punishment and um normally you're doing like you're doing extra duty they call it and it's basically like you're literally scrubbing and cleaning the bathrooms you're mopping the floor yeah um, you're just doing you're just doing like just, you know you're you're cleaning a fan or a, or a, a sidewalk with a toothbrush some shit oh, like geez, that yeah you know okay <laughs> so. so okay so you said something about counseling with your superior this and that to be clear most of the time your superior doesn't have any kind of uh mental health training or training as a social worker or training in any kind of human sciences is that fair to say um and re- like the support right yeah so like i'm saying you're not talking to like a therapist you're talking to your sergeant well i'm having a one-on-one counseling yeah yeah, so yeah. you call it counseling but it's really just related to the job Yes. Okay. Performance. Did you feel like throughout your time in the military, you had access to certain professionals? Aside from, I know that there's military doctors, this and that. I know that like physically you can see a a physician, but in terms of your mental health, did you have counselors, like certified counselors, therapists, psychotherapists, anything like that? Uh, I want to say I'm sure they were available. Did I ever see one or was one ever like presented to me in a convenient fashion? 
fashion, no. Right. So, like, in other words, we, as we know, mental illness, PTSD, all these things are rampant in the military, right? Yes. So, uh, and I don't mean, I don't mean to be like, I, I don't, this isn't a deposition. I'm not trying to like get you to say certain things. Oh, but no, I know that. I, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to get to the bottom of it. So, um, PTSD, mental illness, uh, you know, all these uh, depression, anxiety, all these things are rampant in the military. And you didn't feel like there was somebody that was constantly like, hey, if you need to talk to someone, I'm here type of thing. No. 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 Okay. So, I, okay. Well, I see I, that. I, I will say this. When I, well, when I came back from deployment, we all had to do this re-entry process. Okay. This whole thing. It took like three weeks to okay. re-enter back into civilization, I guess. Normal, normal life, right? Whatever you want to call it. Whatever normal life is. Okay. So maybe that process would be a little bit more helpful. Well, part of that process, you have to sit down with a counselor. Yeah. And I don't know if they're a therapist, but they were a counselor. Sure. And they ask you, so how you doing? How you feeling? Yeah. Um, you know, is there anything that's bothering you? No. Okay, you're good. Stamp. See you later. But over the course of three weeks. That was like maybe three seconds, that part of it. But yeah. Okay. Like, and the rest like, of it is maybe like two weeks. I it, yeah, but like when when it was when it was time to go, because you have this packet that you have to get stamped off and signed off to make sure you're good to go. You have all the correct stamps and signatures that you need. Okay. So going to the counselor is one of them, so you just go there and hey. you get your Disney passport stamped and yeah. then you, okay. <laughs> and then you're good. <laughs> okay. So and we'll we'll come back to that later, but uh Okay, so you were in the military between what years? 2007 and 2013. Okay, and those years, how did you feel that women were treated in the military? By your own description. I don't want to like ask you any yes or no's and, and lead you to a certain conclusion. I just want to hear what your perspective is. Um, from my opinion, from my experience, um, because um, the units that I were in, minus one of them, had women in it, uh, so they're mixed units. Um, in my opinion, I think the women were treated equally. Okay. Um, because in some units, you have women commanders. Okay. Um, you have women sergeants okay me being who i am how i grew up where i'm from again um i've i've never i've never seen color i've really never even seen gender like that so okay so i understand like you i can give you my viewpoint perspective on it saying that i didn't notice any um any kind of maybe um yeah like like discrimination like discrimination regards to um regards to that okay so you you're saying like from an outside white male perspective you didn't really see any kind of yeah, correct. Discrimination. The only, I get yeah. The only time I get not that even they were discriminated that discriminated against was uh, when I was in my with my unit in Germany. My unit in Germany was an infantry unit, so it was an all male unit. Um, but then um the the medical station um we did get a medic in who was a female medic, and she mm-hmm. was the first female in the unit in like its history. Oh wow. And um I don't think and that you- she was discriminated in any way either. You know? Okay, so you saw no reason why she, the, that particular medic couldn't be a woman. Oh, she, yeah, but she was a woman. Right, but yeah. I'm saying, like, you didn't think, like, oh, Jesus is really a job suitable for a man. No, no, and and, and on that note as well, um, I had, uh, you know, in my unit before that, um, I had another uh, female medic um, as well, and she she actually went out on patrols. Like, she was a medic. She's a medic, okay. so to go out on patrols yeah, with, yeah. Um, with, you know, whoever's going out. If you're going out on patrol, um, you need a medic with you, mm-hmm. and she was would go there, you know, wouldn't miss a beat, no problem. You know? Yeah. Wouldn't cry about it. Actually, I think look forward to it most of the time. You know, get out and something to do. Yeah, no, do I mean, your, I do don't job, think. You know? Sure. I mean, they all go through the same training yep. at that stage. I mean, re- exclusive of job training. Yes. Like, you all go through the same boot camp, whatever. I, I think um, 
I think uh, where the discrimination comes from was more at the higher levels. Yeah. So with the when the it older becomes people. like politics. Yes. Yeah. When you know, you know when I've, you're looking I've for read, like that high ranking promotion. I've, yeah, I've read and seen shit, so I know like it definitely went down. Hundred yeah. percent. But you know, f- the units that I was in, I was in three different units. Two of the units again um, had were mixed units with men and women. Uh, the one unit was not a mixed unit, although I did say that um, we eventually did get one female who was a medic. Um, mm-hmm. So I can't really, yeah. So I know it happened at the higher levels. Yes. You know, the levels that are supposed to be, you know, oh, you know that we much respect to you know Sergeant Major so and so or Colonel so and so. They're the ones fucking doing it. Right. You know. Right. So. Okay. So I guess you would, is it fair to say that like maybe you didn't know fully what their experience is obviously because you're not a woman, so you don't know. But yeah, from I your perspective, know. it didn't seem yeah, from my perspective, like there was any favoritism. Right. Um, I'm not trying right. I'm not trying to elicit any kind of response. I'm just asking. No, I'm, I'm really just trying to think if there's at any point did something stand out to me where I was like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't think that's right or that doesn't seem right. No, I don't think so. Again, from, from I think that everyone for the most part was, was treated equals. Maybe that's also comes down to the, the tight units that military um, culture creates. You know, it, it gets to the, to the point. It, it's to where you don't see race, gender, sex. You don't see that. You just see like your battle buddy. You okay. Know? And like a family member. Okay, so um, I know that we've talked about this, like you and I have talked about this, because uh, you made your way through the military uh, single, as in not married, um, through the whole time that you were in the military. And I know that the military places a certain premium on uh, on getting married and starting a family, particularly because they'll give you more money if you have a family, right? You'll get more money and you'll get like a, a like a, an apartment or a house to live in. Right. So um, to that end, I know you, like you and I have talked about this in like not not joked about it because it's, it's really not funny but like you know these young young people 19 20 years old getting married and then like a second later filing for divorce or a second later there's a domestic problem or a second later they're cheating on each other or whatever and i guess my question for you is um as a person who had decided when he went into the military that, like i'm not gonna get married here like i'm not unless i turn this into a career what did you think of like you know the military families and like the lifestyle of that i mean uh, like for one, I, I I couldn't stand it. This is why I'm not, not cards on the table. One, because if if you don't have a family while you're in the military, if you're just a single guy or girl, yeah, you're almost treated like you don't matter, right? You know, so like I don't like that. That that was some bullshit. Um, so it's like okay, so my counterpart over here is 18 years old, 19 years. I'll say 19, 19 years old as well, and they ha- are married with two kids at 19. Why does this person, you know, um, get to live in you know a house? And whatever, and get you know paid for his benefits, uh, sure. so paid for his dependents, and this, that, the other. While well, I'm stuck here in a shitty barracks room, and I'm know? a sergeant, and he's a whatever. Well, the, years later, same thing. Years later, when I made the rank of sergeant, um, and I had soldiers under me who were, you know, of course, married. Um, you know, why do they get to live in a house, and I had a <laughs> shitty barracks room still? You yeah. know, um, yeah. Well, I mean, know. aside aside from the point that military personnel are grossly underpaid. I mean, I think we can agree yeah. on that. Yeah. I mean, you just... Yeah, absolutely. The salary is just laughable. But um, so so it begs the question, you know, you see all this military spending and you're like, where is that money going? You know what I mean? Like, it, it's it's crazy because you're like, OK, military salaries are, are, are dog shit. I mean, if you want my honest opinion. Yeah, no, no, they they absolutely they're they're not they're not. Um, I get they, they try to compare them to I, I don't know how they do it. However they do, it needs to be really, really evaluated because they definitely don't get paid enough. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there's 
there's also times where maybe you get paid too much because there's ways to sham in the military. There's ways to have a job to where like you're just not doing shit and like you're just you know you're you're leaving early. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so like what I'm saying is like it, it, it's hard to say, but I I've, I'll I'll compare it to this. A lot of people get out of um college right and they graduate college and they and they go right into the military um you know after ROTC or something like that and they immediately go in as a second lieutenant. Right. Thinking about what a second lieutenant makes like not really that much. Right. Know? But like you're also fresh out of college sure so you gotta Which, almost compare it to you're fresh out of college and you just got entry your foot level in the job. door yeah entry-level yeah. job you know yeah so it's almost like then if that's an entry-level job at a college then think about what you're going into as enlisted not even you know just going in as a, as a private you know yeah it's thinking about what some of the money i made then it's like pretty shitty money yeah but um at 18 19 years old i had like no debt i wasn't really and then when i deployed i wasn't spending anything sure so i saved a ton of money tax-free money right yeah yeah, yeah. when i deployed yeah so I saved a ton of money. So my mom, I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm making a lot of money. But really looking at, looking at it, like, I really wasn't, you know? And also, like, the <laughs> sacrifice that you were making was, like, I mean, colossal. Your life, essentially. essentially you were in a war yeah. zone. Okay, so that that's a good segue to my next question. Okay, take us through um like when you first found out you were going to get deployed and kind of how it went, how you got there and then how things were once you were there. Okay, so I first found out so when I transitioned from reserves to active duty, I was sent to Fort Drum, New which is in upstate New York, Fort Drum, upstate New York, home of the 10th Mountain Division, is my first unit. I get there, you know, I I basically like kind of check in like I'm here coming off a of leave um and um you know, basically Basically, like the second I got there, um, you know, walking me to the barracks, uh, the sergeant who I had been with I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, we're deploying, you know, deploying in March. So I was just like, casually like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, you know, we're going to Baghdad. So I was like, oh, all right. Like I had just got there, you know, sure. like, so I was like, okay, that's, so that's basically how I found out. And then obviously I've gotten- Did you like freak out? Like what were your feelings? No, no, I didn't freak out because again, at the time I, I was 18, actually just about to turn 19, like in a couple days. Yeah. And, um. And and you're like, this is what I enlisted for? Basically, yeah. yeah. Like, okay. you know, I, I want to, quote unquote, I want to see the world, you know? Sure, I wanna well. Get, I want to branch out. It's a hell of a way to start. Yeah, like I want to branch out of Neptune, New Jersey, and I want to uh, get off my life, and I'm trying to better myself. What better know? place to do that in a war zone that we don't belong in? I mean, yeah. anyway. No, no, it, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so you find out that you're going to deploy in yep. what amounts to, what, two months from then? Got there. I got there in January, so three and months. then they were like april we were deploying okay but good old me got scheduled to, to be like one of the first people out okay so i like left in march okay so, so you leave um like, i know that uh you took like a like obviously a military plane over to uh baghdad so so, you, so what happens when you get there all right so yeah so let's just say come late march i got the i got the green light to go ahead green light i got the go ahead to yeah you're gonna go because basically so i was going advant right advant means you go ahead of the main bodies right so it's kind of like we were the first people from my unit there on the ground. Okay. And I went in a small team and um, the team I was assigned to go to Iraq with, we were assigned to guard Intel equipment and weapons connexes. So I was in logistics and, and supply. So therefore, one of the jobs uh, of logistics and supply guys is to, um, you're in charge of all the weapons and, and maintenance of the weapons and also like accountability and the security of all the weapons. Okay. So um, we didn't, 
so we sent a bunch of like three or four or five weapons connexes in advance. You know, they just had weapons in them. And my job was to guard the weapons connexes, make sure and basically escort them, make sure they got to where they had to go when we landed on the ground in Baghdad. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my, that was basically, that was why I went. So I, it was me and like a bunch of Intel guys. Mm-hmm. Um, that was it really, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So we took off early. So the main bodies actually flew on a commercial airline airliner to Kuwait. Okay. Um, a, a military contract commercial airliner. Um, they flew after us to Kuwait because we were going early and our job was to guard in trans transport and guard and secure Intel equipment and weapons connexes. We, oh, we went different. We went on an air force C 17 okay. in cargo. We took off, um, from Fort drum at like, uh, nighttime. Okay. Uh, I can't remember the date we took off and we were airborne before I know it I wake up and I could see some sun coming out of and I was in like a cargo net you know yeah could see talk about that could <laughs> see like sun kind of so I kind of get up it was I remember it was freezing I'm looking down I'm not sure where we are but we actually were flying to Germany so we flew on the C-17 to Germany X amount of hours later I can't remember maybe like 10 hours later we land in in, uh, in Germany at an Air Force base uh, it was my first time ever being out of the country you okay. know so I'm like oh yeah this is cool you know yeah Um, end up getting holed over there at an Air Force base for like two days I think um and then we got back on the um the C-17 and when we were given to go ahead to proceed to Baghdad we got back on the C-17 um secured everything make sure we're good to go took off and then uh, again I can't remember the exact number of hours x amount of hours later I remember we were strapping ourselves in getting ready for a combat land yeah um, so essentially falling out of the airplane right the airplane just kind of just does a nosedive straight down yeah and then pulls up real quick and then lands with no lights right anywhere pretty cool um pretty cool so um you know I, I was like do we, do I, we have to we were like are we gonna need to get our flak jackets on which was our you know our IBAs our bulletproof vests basically and you know, our equipment you know are we expecting to take any kind of fire or anything yeah. coming in they were like no no you're good so you're good so we didn't have any our equipment Christ. on uh we were but we were strapped in so you know we come in and all suddenly like real fast it's funny normally in a plane uh the, when you're landing the plane slows down uh when you're when you're trying to land well mm-hmm. in this scenario the plane actually speeds up mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you, you hit the ground right you know and you're like okay like bumpy landing yeah yeah yeah. and all i remember is um so you land we landed in baghdad but where we were um assigned to we were assigned to biop which is baghdad international airport slash camp victory camp liberty which is all around there so you're down so you basically did what is what amounts to what a normal person would say is a crash landing in the uh, desert kind of yeah with okay. wheels though you okay. know so so then all i remember is the second the doors opened some people from the air force came in you know they had a sense of urgency going with them we had to get moving so then we had to grab all our shit uh i so we had to make sure our vest was on our weapon was out our, our helmets were on everything our, our full battle rattle was was locked in in addition to that we had to make sure that all everything that we brought to iraq with us we were carrying so we had duffel bags of stuff sure uh we had rucksacks and stuff we had to find a way to attach it, uh, everything to ourselves and hold it and then we had, because then we ran off the plane so you gotta run and you have to you it's like you have to move very fast so it begs the question because like, i have because, to be honest like what well hold on okay so yeah so when you when you get off the, the th- reason why is because a bunch of planes are laying 
understanding at that time, but it was pitch dark. Right. No lights. Right. And the thing is that you have to be quick because technically where we were landing was not a secured area. You weren't landing on a U.S. airbase. You were landing in Baghdad, Baghdad International Airport. Right. So my question is, mm-hmm. it, you asked if you needed to put on your bulletproof vest or if you were at risk of being under fire or anything like that. And it's like, the answer is no, but like also we're landing without lights. Also we're landing where we shouldn't be. Also all these things. So like those two things seem to be in contradiction. No, because well, one, this air, this air force crew would, would do this shit like every week. So they're okay. like, yeah, not nah, whatever. Okay. But no, because they were like, yeah, we're probably, we're not going to be, we shouldn't be taking any kind of fire coming in, especially <laughs> the way, especially the way we're going to be coming in. Even if they, oh, they are shooting, like we, we might not know, even know about it. So you're good. So it was oh basically like, but, but when we landed, we're like, now you got to put everything, now you got to put everything on. Right. So we're grabbing everything. We're coming out. Like, and I'm talking about we're, adrenaline's rushing. We're sweating because we just hit the desert. Mm-hmm. I, all I could smell was the burnt rubber from the airplane. Um, tires and we're running with all our shit like it felt like forever you know right. to get to the other side um, of the airport where the other basically where the US forces were we got running cross and then we get there finally and then we come through and I see like members of the 3rd infantry who we were leaving they were kind of just laying there like some of them were getting some sleep whatever there was a lot of people kind of piled up mm-hmm. and then um, basically uh, we ended up taking all our stuff to a tent and um and that was home. And then the Connexes and all the equipment got unloaded and secured by the Air Force. Okay. But it wasn't done yet because the next day we had to go out to another unsecured location to make sure that they were secured and to put like a tracker on it so we knew where they were. Okay. So you were so you spent your entire deployment in a tent. Is that fair to say? No, no, no. So um, most of my deployment my deployment was spent actually in a uh, we called it a chew, which is like a hut. It's uh, it, okay. It's it's like a it's like a tr- it's like a trailer. Like you don't know, okay. like those mobile trailers, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. a small like. Tra- Trailer. Yeah, like classroom trailer, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. A, like a small one where you can fit like two people in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So really small. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's where you spent your deployment. Mm-hmm. How long were you there for? So I um I was deployed in total for thirteen months. Um, I spent half of it in Iraq, and then I spent the other half of it actually in Kuwait because um at that time we were looking to um trying to, the U.S. military was trying to find ways to with start to withdraw okay. from Iraq. Um, and then I was sent to Kuwait to kind of help um the actual logistical officers i basically helped support them and um doing like what did I do? I did it like, you know, paper pushing, stuff like sure. that. But I also did stuff to where um, they had to leave in Kuwait. They had to leave the base a lot. So I was the guy who had to drive them and also be their security because okay. I was a private, you know? Okay. So I would basically, actually, so basically I saw, I drove all around Kuwait almost every freaking day um, and would be like kind of like the security for these guys um, and just, you know, make sure that uh, I was like a shooter and a driver, you know, okay. just in case. I didn't, nothing ever happened in Kuwait that I, I experienced. But um, but that was it. And okay. certain things too, you couldn't stand out, so I'd actually have to go out like in civilian clothes, right? With but like with a rifle. But in Kuwait, I couldn't have the rifle out, so like I'd have it's to either like keep pants. the rifle <laughs> like in the car with me, or um, if I had to um, get out of the vehicle, which I did a lot of times, I would have maybe some kind of a sidearm, um, okay. like a nine millimeter that I could kind of took away. Okay. You know? What was that story that you told me? You told me told me a story where you guys were kind of like sitting ducks. Was that in Iraq? Yes. Yeah, so, so then in Iraq, I yeah, I I'd never told my mom this, but. I I volunteered to go to be part of the um, the battalion security team. I volunteered to go on a couple of patrols and a couple um, times where we had to leave base 
because one, um, I didn't like being just stuck in the base. I yeah. actually wanted to go out and experience, like experience it, you know. And that was just me being young and, and just curious, really. You know, yeah. I wasn't like trying to get myself killed or anything like that. But I, I did join the army to be a soldier, and and I enjoyed. I took a lot of pride in that, you know. Okay. So, um, there was one time where we, um, of course, I volunteered for this one. It was a long one. It was like a, it was like almost like a full twenty four hours. We were out of the out of the compound, so night and day, multiple different trucks, which included a Humvee and also a uh, AMRAP bus. Uh, for escorting people but during the daytime on this particular mission uh, we had like a translator with us and our mission we had to go and we had to go to one of the um, the police precincts in Baghdad I forget what the reason was for but we had to do it so um, we had a translator with us the thing about this translator is we ended up finding out the translator hadn't been in Iraq in like 30 years oh and couldn't remember this is a military person no like a contractor okay Um, and, and for, couldn't remember couldn't like remember the route how to get there yeah oh, yeah Jesus. so and that's something you depend on a translator for? Unfortunately, yeah. Wow. So got lost multiple times in like in the middle of the city. And Iraq, especially during this time, very congested, very overpopulated, a lot of cars, a lot of traffic, like just a lot of shit, you know? So I remember uh, that we got like lost a couple times. We dismounted a couple times. There's one time I had to stop. I stopped traffic. I'm 19 years old this time. I stopped traffic on an entire like highway because we were walking across it trying to meet someone on the other side. And so it was myself. I was a private this time also another sergeant i think maybe one other and it was just us doing it with the translator mm -hmm. and so we leave so we cross the highway i stop traffic on it we go to the other side of the highway our humvees are parked in like but like in a in a fighting position to where like if something were to happen mm -hmm. they would open up the 50 calibers on whoever was shooting at us or mm -hmm. yeah or what if something happens if we you know blew sure. up i don't know they would be able to um to, to to be in a position to fight so we did that uh spoke to the you know they were talking to the translator i was just kind of off to the side just kind of pulling security meaning like I was just looking at the highway I was looking at the buildings I was looking at what was in front of me I was I was my eyes were just scanning from 5 to 25 uh, basically that's 5 meters to 25 meters out over and over and over and over again at that point I started to sweat maybe a little bit because I was like I'm a sitting duck right here you know yeah uh, at the same time I also said you know the sergeant looked at me and said hey you want to go I was like let's go you know like I'm not going to back down I'm not going right. to be you know like this is what I signed up for let's go you know so then we end up crossing back over over. Then we went down a freaking alley, and the alley, um, the alley, like same thing. Humvees are outside with you know in a kind of like a fighting defense defensive position. Someone tried to uh, to to go down that alley, and I remember um, I'm looking at one of the sergeants. I was like, hey, hey, sergeant, this guy's trying to come in here. We're you know, what do you want to do? And he had this look like, oh, shit, I don't fucking know, oh, you know. Man. So he's like, all right, you can come. And it, he was like, I remember a, a younger a young Iraqi, maybe uh, Iraqi male, maybe um, early 20s, something like that. And he was crossing. He looked like you know, like oh, you know, like you know, I, I'm. I'm you know, I'm just trying to get to my my apartment or something like that. Sure. Comes through us. I'm like, man, he's going to pull something. Yeah. Right now. Oh, my like, God. This is, and this is all in one day. M many different times I thought I was going to, like, something was going to happen. But, again, this is, that was what I was. It's that, usually, like, the movies, and it's always those guys that are, like, strapped with, like, a bomb or something. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. the mo and, and if you go watch The Hurt Locker, that's exactly what would have happened in that right. situation. Sure. But in, in real life, in in real life that does happen. But given uh, given that time, it didn't happen. He just crossed, you know. And, and I'm and we're looking. I'm staring. It's funny how I'm ta I'm thinking about these memories. And I'm thinking about to my training, and it's, I'm going like I said, five and twenty five. Yeah. And I remember I'm looking at his hands, and I'm looking at like every movement he does. My finger like ready to go. Yeah. You know, and that was unsettling too because he's crossing right in the middle of us. And right. He could have just simply pulled something. Right. And that would have been it. Goodbye. But there and then and then what happened was and then at the end of the day we um you know we. 
we're, we're back in the Humvees, we're, we're, we're moving, then we get stuck in a traffic jam, and no one's moving, you know, and then we see another AMRAP from another unit, the guy steps out, like, trying to clear traffic, and it's, and the Iraqis look at him like, fuck you, you know, like, you, well, yeah, I mean, think of know, it from, like, peaceful civilians in Iraq and Baghdad, like, imagine being that Iraqi guy going to his apartment, and, like, being like, I have to pass this foreign military with their rifles, yeah, like, the, it's crazy what okay. their reality, I mean, I'm not saying you guys are wrong or anything i'm just saying that like imagine being that guy you know well imagine it being here right and you're like hey i'm just sure. trying to go to work yeah. i'm trying to get to my car and yeah and, pass a foreign yeah. military and you're weapons, like if i you know? move even slightly they're gonna yep. open fire on me and, and like maybe not even care like yeah and, and like and that, that's what like i said like when in those positions you know i'm you're scanning you're looking you're looking at everything you're looking at windows looking at the car in front of you you're looking at you know from five meters into 25 meters out you're you're you're, you're searching your lanes um, you know, in that situation, you're looking at the guy's hands, you're looking at his movements, anything qu- too quick, you know, you're ready, right. you're ready to basically blow him, blow him away. Um, yeah, and it's stressful. So then we're sitting in there and sitting in, in, um, in, you know, traffic, not moving going, yeah, I mean, this is a good time also. Um, but we have these things, I can't tell you what they're called, but they're basically oh. GPSs and, uh, wow. you could probably look it up, but, uh, I don't want it. I, uh, the, uh, federal government coming after me for that. Oh, okay. Um, but you can, it, it's, it's a GPS and we were able to find and reroute ourselves and find a quicker way back to base got back to base safe uh, safely and um that night um got back into the amrap buses had to go back out uh to the green zone it was during the, in the middle of the night to pick up some people part of a unit picked them up and then brought them back um needless to say after that day the second i got back to my uh my chew my hut um i mean that night i didn't even take a shower i just i pulled my iba off and all my equipment i just i basically just passed the fuck out yeah like i was so fucking tired um yeah but uh what else oh and and the first thing that happened that day too very weird very weird but um the second we left post base um the second we got cleared the gates uh there was like three or four maybe five small Iraqi kids right outside the gate. Oh my God. And it came up and slapped the Humvee. (gasps) (laughs) So that was the second we got out the gate that day. That was just a weird day, but, um, luckily, uh, and like, so there's not, I mean, there's an understanding that it's like little kids, right? They were like four, five. Yeah. The oldest may have been five. And where were their parents? No. Nowhere to be found. Okay. Really next to the walls of a U.S. military installation. Oh my God. Um, Yeah. So, so it is like the movies. It literally is. Like, some of it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, but other than that, um, yeah. That was your deployment. Yeah. I mean. I mean, we've been, I, I can't believe we've been talking about this for almost an hour already. But, yeah, Jesus. I'm sorry. Um, no, 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 there. no. I want, I want you to share, and I'm sure our audience is going to be loving every bit of this. But before we wrap up, I think the one thing, and I know I said in the beginning of this episode that this is going to be about veterans, and, and I, I would call it more like stories from a veteran than like, vet because we didn't really get into your post-military life. But what would you say is something that uh, is very positive that the VA offers veterans? And what is something VA, uh, meaning, Department of Veteran Affairs um, and something that maybe could really be improved upon in terms of post-military veteran service from our government. Yeah, so I'm going to call it out right right now. Um, this, this, I guess, could attest to the VA, but also to other civilian organizations or civilian entities that, that work for the military. But one is, um, I don't know where they get these people from, and not all, not all. There are some good ones, some very good uh, professional 
people who work with the military. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely not all, but there are a lot of people who should not be in those positions um, because they fucking suck. In VA. VA, in VA. or other um, other contractors that okay. work for the military. Or, or okay. an organization that works for the military. Um, I would say that some of the most disrespectful, I don't give a shit attitude people came from these people. Um, civilian contractors who work for and with the military. Right. And they just have like, I don't give a shit about, I'm better than you because I'm a civilian. Attitude. And I don't have to do what you say because you're not my boss. Attitude. Okay. And I'm going to give you less than a fuck care because I don't have to do what you say because I'm a civilian and you're not my boss and I can do whatever I want. Attitude. Right. A lot of that and so a lot, now, and now a lot of people in managerial positions who like shouldn't be. I, I think I've spoken, spoken about this before in another episode, like toxic leadership. They are like, in my opinion, like you have a lot of people in, in leadership positions in, in, in like the VA or whatever who should be, get them as far away from any type of leadership position as possible, you know? Okay. Because they're so, terrible. Okay. But so yeah. then that kind of, that kind of circles back to what you were saying. They were trying to shake the civilian out of you at the very beginning. So now do you kind I guess you kind of would arguably see why they want to get the civilian out of you. Well, at that early stage so that you're not then being insubordinate like these people clearly are. Well, these people, though, weren't like soldiers. Right. Yeah. They were just, they were civilians right. contracted by the military. Right. And that gave them, and having that civilian status gave them the ability to say, F you, I can do what I want. Like, I, I think that they felt, yeah, they felt empowered over the military because they, they felt like they're empowered and they were better than, than us. Right. And it's like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, we would come back from a deployment or whatever like that. And, like, for the most part, they just wouldn't give a fuck. Right. You know? And I, I get it. Like, you deal with soldiers every day. I got you, you know? Sure. But and like, we're not, yeah. Like, there's no delusion that, you know, soldiers are all easy to deal with, obviously. Right, right. Just right. like anything else. Right. So, yeah. I, I would say, um, you know, my advice, if um, anyone out there is ever listening to anything I'm saying, um, the, the biggest opportunity for improvement in the VA and also in um, other civilian uh, organizations that are affiliated with the military and contractors honestly like you need to really look at the people you're hiring and hire better qualified and better quality professionals the vetting process yeah, yeah. not not even people like professionals mm-hmm. like who are um you know customer centric and who uh, value their value working with the military and treat the military as j- just treat it as, as equals. Sure. You know, yeah. um, that's it. That's very, pretty simple. And guess what? Like put the right people in who pe- put the right people in ma- leadership positions. You mm-hmm. can't just throw a jack- jackass in a leadership position who's unqualified, who doesn't give a shit about people because they're going to make it terrible. Right. You got to throw good quality leaders in good in positions like that. Sure. Or else you're going to have this um, toxicity. What? Toxicity. Right. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, I don't, a lot of the people who do work for them are ex-military. Uh, Some of them are veterans. A lot of them are veterans. And, you know, most of the time working with those veterans were fine. Um, but then again, it's funny, too, because a lot of times that um, those veterans, if they get out like a high rank, like a sergeant major or something like that, right? They get out, but because they were, you know, in the military for, you know, 28 years or whatever, and they were a sergeant major, they still have that mentality, which is fine. I can work with that more. But it's the people who, um, you know, want praise for working with the military who but never served, never would touch foot in Iraq or Afghanistan. Right. Who... So what you're saying is there's there's plenty of opportunities that should be first come first serve for veterans that are being filled by people who don't maybe necessarily have the experience that a veteran would inherently have from their military background. Definitely think first come first serve. Yeah. But, but at the same time, like you need a di- diversity. Diverse, totally. Yeah. So, but what I'm saying is, if you're gonna hire someone who to work with the military who is not has not served in the military, you need to, you need to make sure that you're hiring the right people. 
Yeah. You can't just hire a jackass because a lot and unfortunately a lot of times uh, you get these people because they couldn't get a job anywhere else. Sure. They weren't qualified. They didn't have the education. They didn't have, you know, the people skills. They didn't have the this, this you know, the um they didn't have the correct qualities, you know? Right. So therefore guess who will take them though? Right. The freaking government, you know? So, okay. So we've, clearly there's, you know, I I mean, you and I can go in circles around a lot of the ways that the VA can improve, that the military infrastructure can improve. But what is one, like, what is the most positive thing that, and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, like building integrity or any, like, I'm I'm talking like concrete thing that you got out of the military. Like once you were done, what was the most valuable thing that you got from your veteran status or from having served? As a person? Yeah. I, the military definitely, and maybe one day. They will go into my childhood and my past and a lot of what happened in my childhood and past also contributed to me joining the military so to sum up in short though when i got out i really noticed that the military provided gave me made me disciplined it, it made me disciplined it made me more structured it made me more organized believe it or not it it made me understand things differently uh made me understand who i was and although you know i was very young i went in when i was 18 got out when i was 24 and when i got out i was still a young kid had a lot to learn um a lot to you know to grow and develop but it it gave me um the structure and the foundation to be successful um, and to be to always continue to want to fight and be better than what I am today. You know, I okay. talk about you know a goal for tomorrow is to be better than you were today. Sure, I believe that. I know that the army it, it helped molded me mold me into who I am today. And you know who I am today at 31. Um, you know who I am as a person and who I am professionally. Um, that all came from what I got out of six and a half years and as a soldier in the United States Army. Cool. You know, that's a good answer. So yeah. yeah. So and, yeah. I'm, and I'm very thankful for it. And I truly believe that if I hadn't joined the military, I would not be who I am today. Yeah. So um, you've said that multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good shit. I mean, I think we could definitely do like a total another episode on this of your stories. Yeah, there's a lot. I, there's I even, so much. I know I we didn't get into my time in, in, in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, no, I, I kind of wanted to focus on like the wartime service because I think that that's a hot button issue right now. But certainly we can do another episode like this. Um, if you guys like this episode, let us know. WJT podcast on Instagram, WJT podcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions for Julian um, about his military service, I just kind of went off of questions that I've heard people ask him. And, you know, aside from the rude ones, like I think there's always that person that, that's like, did you kill anyone while you were? And it's just like so inappropriate. Yeah, that, that's that's like that's a, a really dumb, that's inappropriate like a, question. A dumb question to ask a veteran. Yeah, so FYI. Don't ask a veteran that question is not a good thing. Um, But yeah, I kind of, you know, I've heard my family ask him questions. I've heard our friends ask him questions and i've kind of just uh you know boiled it down to what i think is like kind of the most interesting stuff that he's got to share obviously that's not to say that we couldn't do a whole other two and a half three hours on this but in the interest of keeping our episodes around the hour mark uh we are gonna stop wrap it up here any final remarks from our veteran i thank you everyone who has served and who continues to serve and seriously um your service is hugely appreciated and this country really needs people like you to help us stay on the right path and the right track and uh and, and moving forward with um with life and with uh, who we are as as a nation great well then i think that'll do it for tonight until next time we're just talking perfect